been uh, in the Gospel of John uh, looking at uh, belief barriers. As we reflect on belief barriers, we've talked about, um, this paper's not staying up here. We've talked about uh, the belief barrier of religiosity. Uh, we've talked about the belief barrier of sexual immorality and the belief barrier of nearsightedness. All these belief barriers uh, prevent people from putting their trust in Jesus for the very first time. But they also affect us as followers of Christ, uh, from preventing us from putting our f- trust fully in him and growing more and more in that. And then last week, Brock uh, talked about false belief or deceived faith. Um, which is kind of sometimes even more of a trap because we don't even know it's there. So this morning we're going to look at John chapter 11 and talk about one more belief barrier. Uh, that's the belief barrier of disappointment. I wasn't sure what to think when Andy asked me to preach on this one. Uh, was he disappointed in me or am I supposed to learn how to deal with uh, times that I'm disappointed in him or what? But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, actually, he's setting me up for a win, right? You know, I mean, if I do a really great job, I mean, I just nail all the points and I get it down really good, you're going to think, hey, this guy's awesome. But then if I start messing up over the place, I stumble over my words, whatever it is, what are you going to be? Disappointed. disappointed. Thank you. Yeah. So I just gave you a practical illustration in disappointment. So that's a win-win. That's not exactly the way it went down, but I just couldn't give the opportunity to, couldn't miss the opportunity to razz Andy a little bit. Uh, I respect him as our lead pastor, uh, and we're co-workers for the gospel and for the kingdom, uh, but he's also my friend and my brother, and that's just the way we roll, so. Anyway, it's pretty easy to make the topic of disappointment relevant for everybody here. I mean, who among us has not dealt with disappointment in one way or another? Uh, obviously, there's various levels of disappointment. I mean, if you w- want to write something down and you go and find out your pen is broken, that can be disappointing, right? But the disappointment you feel from a broken pen might be very different than the disappointment you feel from, say, a broken femur. <clears throat> I won't mention any names there. Uh, and the disappointment you feel over a broken femur might be different than the disappointment you feel over a broken promise or a broken job contract or maybe even a broken marriage. Uh, besides various levels of disappointment, there are also different sources of disappointment. Um, uh, circumstances can disappoint us, like if from our school or our job, or health issues like cancer that has affected so many of people in our congregation over the last few months. Think about all the disappointments that COVID has caused. Uh, people have lost loved ones. They've lost jobs. Uh, they've lost uh, op- learning opportunities in school. Uh, people have lost relationships as, as we've entered into isolation and things like that. The list of COVID disappointments is a mile long. Besides our circumstances, people in general can disappoint us, right? Uh, if you expect them to do their job, but they don't follow through. Or friends can disappoint, disappoint us. Uh, we rely on them for advice, but it turns out to be bad direction. Family can disappoint us, like when they reject us or they reject God. Mothers can disappoint with their children, and children can disappoint their mothers. So now if you forgot that today was Mother's Day, I just gave you another practical illustration in disappointment. You can thank me later. So with that in mind, turn to John chapter 11. Uh, There we can find the account of uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, And we're going to walk through this. The beauty of God's word is that we can see the whole picture at once. Uh, but to encourage the impact that it needs to have in our lives, that it'll help us to remember that these were real people uh, dealing with real death and facing real disappointment. Uh, 
So as we look at this passage, we're going to observe uh, three things. The first thing, we're going to look at the first part of the passage and observe where does our disappointment come from. And then secondly, we're going to look at the, the rest of the passage and look at uh, the different attitudes and postures that we have uh, that actually affect how we deal with disappointment. And then finally, we're going to go through the whole passage again and look at Jesus, because it's looking at Jesus is where we can actually take these disappointments and turn them into opportunities for spiritual growth rather than becoming belief barriers. So John chapter 11, we'll start right off in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So John starts off explaining who these siblings were and how close they were to Jesus. Uh, He loved them, and they loved him. And that's an important key point in uh, setting the stage for this event. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. Notice how he points out each one individually instead of lumping them all together. He really loves each one of them. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus intentionally delays. Notice it doesn't say that he would, had some other important work to do. There wasn't, other, uh, there wasn't any other uh, really important kingdom work that prevented him from going. That's another key point in the setting up this story uh, for illustrating the disappointment. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going there again? At the end of uh, chapter 8, last time that Brock preached on, um, Jesus had declared that he was God, those I am statements. And so these Jewish religious leaders uh, really didn't like that. They, they thought that was blasphemy, and so they wanted to stone him. And it happened again at the end of chapter 10. Uh, so Jesus' disciples thought, this guy's crazy. He wants to go back to the place where he's going to get stoned. But then Jesus answers them with this cryptic metaphor in verse 9. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, this metaphor refers uh, not only to light and darkness uh, in, in understanding God's will and stuff, but it refers to Jesus himself and his character. So we're going to take a look at that at the end. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to him, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go, that we may die with him. Thomas, again, is thinking back to the impending stoning that Jesus would face if he goes to Judea, but he goes anyway. Now, when, they came, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Mary and Martha had sent for Jesus, and he didn't come. 
Now Lazarus was dead, and they had been grieving for four days. That was some pretty big disappointment. And we read earlier that Jesus loved them. And these guys had been around long enough to see Jesus heal, right? So if both of those things were true, his love for them and that he could heal, why did Jesus allow Lazarus to die from the sickness? What was Jesus thinking? Maybe we should doubt that Jesus actually loved them. Or maybe we should doubt that he couldn't heal. Or maybe we shouldn't trust him altogether. And so you can see that's how the belief barrier begins to build up. It's our unmet expectations. If I know A, B, and C about Jesus, and I know D, E, and F about my situation, then I can expect X, Y, and Z as a result, right? It's a simple mathematical function, input, output, domain, range, right? Now, those of you who are left brain probably track pretty well with that. Uh, But for those of you who are more right brain, let me give you a different illustration, maybe the gumball analogy, right? A gumball machine, you, you put in the coin, you turn the knob, out comes the candy, right? The machine meets our expectations, Shouldn't God work the same way? Uh, we put in the coin. We offer some, the right sacrifice. Uh, we turn the knob. We obey all the rules. Shouldn't the blessing come out if we do all those things? So if the blessing's not coming out, does that mean that I didn't offer the right sacrifice? Maybe I put in a Canadian quarter instead of the Drew American thing. Sorry, Tim. <laughs> or maybe I didn't obey the rules right. I, I turned counterclockwise instead of clockwise. Um, that's why the blessing wasn't coming out. Unfortunately, there are many people that kind of fall into that false, uh, that wrong type of thinking. They camp on Romans 8.28, which says, all things work together for good for those who love him, who love God. But then they forget that the next verse, verse 29, defines what is good. What is good is being conformed into the image of his son. So you can't take Romans 8.28 without taking Romans 8.29 as well, because that's what's good for us. What's good for us is to be conformed into the image of God's Son. That's where our well-being lies. My wife Heather and I have had uh, many disappointments in our work overseas with Wycliffe. Uh, Financial hardships, uh, paradigm changes in the way we do Bible translation, uh, close friends leaving the field, uh, loss of visas, things like that. But by far the, the, the most uh, disappointing thing that we've experienced as a couple is facing infertility. Uh, it's kind of appropriate for Mother's Day, right? God actually did work that one out in the schedule, so that was kind of interesting. But six years of marriage and not being able to have kids, that was, that was a huge disappointment for us. Um, our friends, friends were getting married after us and having kids before us. Uh, some friends that even had struggled with infertility for a couple years, God had blessed them with children, uh, but he didn't for us. My younger brother at the time had, had three kids. My older brother had six. Uh, my older brother now has 12. In fact, some of my Indonesian friends said, you know, what, why do you have such a uh, horrible relationship with your brother? And I was like, what do you mean? Well, why doesn't he just give you one if he has so many, you know? <laughs> That's what they would do. And actually, my brother was willing. He said, you could have a couple, but he said you could even pick which ones you wanted. (laughs) But my sister-in-law wouldn't have any of that. So, uh, but there wasn't any reason why we shouldn't uh, have the blessing of children, right? We we sacrificed to be missionaries, for crying out loud. Uh, We had obeyed his calling. Children are a blessing. We put in the coin. We turned the knob. Why wasn't the blessing coming out? God didn't meet our expectations, uh, so we were very disappointed. So 
knowing that our disappointment comes from our unmet expectations, some would say, well, the answer is then just don't have any expectations. I appreciate that, the logic there. That's good left brain thinking, but it's actually wrong for two reasons. One is that it's completely impossible not to have expectations. They're there whether we know it or not, and most of the time it's not. Uh, we enter into friendships with expectations that we didn't know we had. We, we expect friends to stick around and not move all around the world and go to different places like Florida and Washington or things like that. We enter marriage with expectations we didn't know we had until later, uh, like expecting that the dirty socks go in the laundry basket and not on the kitchen counter. I won't mention any names there. We have expectations about our safety, our health, or our family. Expectations are always there, so we can't pretend that we can live without them. But the second reason that that type of thinking is wrong is because God actually does want us to have a confident expectation in Him. That's what hope is all about. But the thing is, we need to be confident and put our hope in the right place. We need to put our hope in Him, who He is, not what we expect Him to do for us. So we'll take a look at who He is in a moment. But first, uh, let's look at some of the different attitudes that affect how we deal with disappointment. Um, we said that disappointment comes from our unmet expectations. And, but then we all have these different attitudes, these dispositions, uh, character that is settled in us uh, that uh, affect how we handle it. I had a friend um, who, when he was younger, his family was in a car accident and his sister died. Uh, and this made his father just completely reject God. But it made his mother draw really close to God. It was the same situation, but different results. So as look at, let's look at some of those attitudes in the text uh, and the different responses to what Jesus did. We'll pick up uh, the narrative again in verse 18. Verse 18, chapter 11. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Martha was clearly disappointed, but her disappointment was also accompanied by her eternal perspective. Look at the next couple of verses. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Basically, she's saying, this is not how I hoped that things would be, but at least I know that the final answer is eternal life. That's the kind of attitude and posture that knows that God's purposes are bigger than our circumstances. And we need to have that as well, recognizing that God's purposes are bigger than our circumstances. Not only does she face her disappointment with the eternal perspective, but she also uh, faces it with a posture of faith um, in what she knows. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Notice that Martha confesses what she uh, she does believe 
Not what she doesn't understand. She doesn't understand everything that Jesus is saying at this point. And she doesn't understand why Jesus let her brother die. But she does believe some things, and that's what she confesses. She confesses, or she calls Jesus Lord. That is, recognizing that he is the ultimate authority in her life. She believes that he is the Christ. That is his role as the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who God had promised, this king that God had promised to come and rescue and rule over his people. And she, saw, she says that Jesus is the son of God. That also kind of refers to his role as the Messiah. But it also gives special emphasis into his relationship with God. And she says that he is the one who is coming into the world. So she recognizes that Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. This prophecy comes from Zechariah 9.9, and it's fulfilled in the very next chapter of John as Jesus enters Jerusalem. So Martha had disappointment, but she faced it with faith and with a posture of eternal perspective that helped her be able to surrender that outcome to Jesus. And that's how it should be. But then there's Mary, verse 28. When she, had, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is, is here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise, go, rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice that Mary uses the exact same words that Martha did. But for Mary, it was just kind of plain disappointment. There was nothing more, nothing less. That's how, um, that's how it was for Mary. But the crowd had different reactions too. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? So this was disappointment, but it was mixed with a little positivity. See how much he loved Lazarus? But others not so much. Verse 37, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? This, this was disappointment mixed with criticism. Um, this form of the rhetorical question here is one that marks disdain or disrespect, even belittling a little bit. So uh, we see that there's different expectations or different attitudes that affect how we deal with, dif- dis- uh, with disappointment. And these people who had this critical spirit, they, they had more than unmet expectations. They almost had a demanding spirit. That's what their expectations were, more like demands on people. Uh, it's kind of my way of their highway sort of people. So we had Martha who faced disappointment with uh, a posture of uh, faith and uh, eternal perspective. And we have Mary who was just plain disappointed. We have some people who were mixed disappointment with positivity and others with criticism. What is your overarching attitude when you think of the disappointments that you face? What is it that comes out? Now, as a missionary facing infertility and that huge disappointment, I would like to say that I was like Martha, but I wasn't. I would like to say that I was even like Mary, where just kind of neutral, but I wasn't like that either. I was much more like these last people who uh, had a critical spirit. I went on what I would call an attitude binge. You know how some people, like if they face a day full of disappointments, they go home and they binge on ice cream or chocolate? 
Uh, or if they've had a week full of disappointments, they go home and they binge on Netflix or some other entertainment. Now, for me, it didn't come out in food or entertainment. It came out in my attitude. Um, God didn't meet uh, my expectations, so I didn't have to meet his expectations of me. I could be short-tempered. I deserve to be angry. I deserve to be grumpy, whatever it was. My attitude actually even came out in our newsletters that we were sending home to supporters because one day I got a, a, a note from one of our supporters who called me out on it. Uh, thankfully, we didn't lose all of our support, uh, but I did have a lot of repenting to do to my wife, to God, and basically anybody that I was around during that time. Now, sometimes God does work things out uh, even better than we can imagine. If we continue reading in John chapter 11, we see that it worked out for Lazarus and his, um, his family. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha and, her, and the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man, who had came, the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. Mary and Martha had ex- uh, expected that Jesus would heal Lazarus so that he wouldn't die. But now, not only do they have Lazarus back from the dead, but they've seen Jesus' power and love in a way that they would never have imagined otherwise. And the whole thing was a display of God's glory. And other people believed. God had a bigger and better picture in mind. It was like that for Heather and I as well. How did it turn out for us? God had a bigger and better picture in mind for us rather than just us dealing with our infertility. Uh, We were able to adopt an amazing young boy. Uh, If you've ever met KJ, you'll see what I'm talking about. Not only that, we experienced the joys and pains of the adoption process uh, that gave us more opportunities for disappointment and uh, growing through that. And being parents of an Asian child actually created uh, more of a community for us in Indonesia. There were times that we didn't even know where KJ was. He was taken around from house to house, just passed around. Another thing that happened was that people could actually always automatically tell that we had struggled with infertility because KJ didn't look exactly like us. And for Indonesians, uh, infertility was a huge stigma for them, much more than it is in America. Couples who had experienced infertility themselves would often come up to us and, and share their uh, stories of pain and even uh, rejection by family. Even men, we were in a restaurant one time in Bali, and and this man that was our waiter, he just poured his heart out to me. I couldn't believe it. But he and his wife weren't able to have kids, and he just wanted to have somebody to share his pain with. All of those conversations that came out of that became opportunities for us to glorify God as we were able to share in a real way what their pain was like. And we're able to share about our God who comforts us in that pain and the God that could comfort them as well if they turned to him. So all of those things help us deal with disappointment, knowing that God has a bigger and better picture for us. But what if it doesn't work out? 
Uh, what if we never see the bigger and better picture of our, in our lives here on this earth? For that, we have to turn to Hebrews 11. So turn with me to Hebrews 11, and we can see what happens there. There are, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about a lot of different people who had faith, uh, faith that um, who God worked through, amazing things through. The whole chapter 11 goes through that. But then there were others who had faith, but it didn't quite work out for them in this life. Verse 36 says, there were those of, uh, who suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and the mountains and in dens and caves and earth. Man, that was pretty rough life, huh? Full of disappointments, but they had faith. But pay attention to verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So God had a bigger and better picture for them, but it was beyond their life here on this earth their individual lives here. God's purpose in history was much wider than the people of Israel. Jews who had believed in him would not attain fullness or perfection without those in the future, uh, both Jews and non-Jews. God wanted to include those people and that we'd be all gathered together under Christ. But how do we get there? How do we get to that perspective? How do we get to that understanding? We keep reading in, ver- in chapter 12 of, of Hebrews. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. These witnesses are both those who experienced wonderful things through their faith and those who didn't. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. There it is. That's the answer to our disappointment is to look to Jesus. We look at who he is, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who initiated our faith, but he also is the one who grows it and helps it come to completion. We can learn how to face smaller disappointments that will lead up to bigger disappointments and being able to handle them and grow. That's who he is. The King James translation calls, uh, uses the words, the author and finisher of our faith. And we look to what Jesus did. Keep reading, and it says, Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross for the joy of knowing that suffering had an eternal purpose that was beyond his life here on this earth. That is our salvation. So when we face these disappointments, we can't have a false hope that God is going to do what we expect. It's not always going to work out the way we want. We need to take our eyes off ourselves and our situation and put them onto Christ, uh, trusting who he is and in his character. So we've looked at where our disappointment comes from, those unmet expectations, and we've looked at different uh, attitudes and postures that affect how we deal with disappointment. And now we're going to look to the answer. We're going to look to Christ because looking to him is how we prevent these disappointments from becoming belief barriers, that they can become opportunities for growth. So we return to John chapter 11, and we're going to go back through and look at Jesus, and look at his eternal purpose and his eternal promise for us. In verse 4 of chapter 11, 
Jesus states that eternal purpose pretty clearly. Verse 4, it says, it is for the glory of God. And he reminds Martha about it in verse 40. He said, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you will see the glory of God? As followers of Christ, we need to remember that as well. Our purpose is to glorify God. That means not only to praise him, but also to live in a way that brings praise to him from others. We can glorify God uh, how we, by how we respond to our disappointments. Our life, or even our death, can glorify him as we constantly affirm his love and his faithfulness, even through our disappointments. We also remember his love. In verse 5 and 6, it says, uh, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed longer. This, this marker of so is actually a marker of result. You'd think there'd be a marker of contrast here. He loved them, but he stayed later. He stayed longer. But it's actually a, a marker of, of, of result here. His love resulted in him delaying. Why is that? It tells us that Jesus did that intentionally. He delayed because he knew what he was going to do, and it was going to work out better for them. Uh, he would be of more help to Lazarus uh, after he died. Man, if we could remember that when we face our disappointments, that Jesus does what he does out of his love for us, God does things and allows things to happen because of his love for us. So we remember his love. When we look to Jesus, we remember his glory, we remember his love. We also remember his light. This goes back to the verse 9 and 10 where Jesus gives this cryptic metaphor. The disciples were confused about why Jesus would want to go back to the place where they were going to stone him. They were confused about whether Lazarus was sleeping or uh, whether he was dead or things like that. And then Jesus has this uh, statement in verse 9, or this quote in verse 9. Jesus answered, are, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. That's what it is, the light of this world. The light represents the will and knowledge of God. And we need to see that as well. We need to see the light of the world. What Jesus is doing is according to that. He's he's not making a mistake. He's not ignorant of your situation. Um, He desires God's will above all else. And we can come to that point as well where when we face disappointments, we can say to God, God, have your way in my life. So we remember his light. We also remember that he is life. When Mary and Martha were expressing their disappointment, notice that Jesus doesn't condemn them. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Life is not something that Jesus just talks about. It's something that he is. So when you're drowning in disappointment, uh, Jesus doesn't just give you advice on how to swim. He actually saves you. He reaches down to you and saves you. Uh, that, that is his eternal promise. In verse 4, when he talked about Lazarus' death, uh, not, uh, Lazarus' illness not leading to death, that was a promise to Lazarus. But here in verse 25, it's a promise for everyone who believes. In verse 26, it says, Everyone who believes in me shall never die. Even though he dies on this earth, he will live eternally with Jesus in heaven. So we remember his life. And finally, we remember his tears. This is a familiar part for most people where Jesus wept in verse 35. When Jesus weeps, he already knows that he's going to raise Lazarus again from the dead. So why does he weep? It shows us 
that he enters into our, our, our pain. Uh, it shows us his humanity and his ability to empathize with our pain and our disappointments and our suffering. In America, I think even non-Christians kind of take that for granted. Uh, they take our God being compassionate as something that is just always there. But if you look at other religions, that's not so. Uh, they're emotionless. Their gods are not concerned with humans or their affairs in this life. Uh, in fact, some of the gods actually provoke humans and cause problems. But Jesus truly understands our pain and what we feel even when we wait to see his ultimate purpose fulfilled. If we re- keep reading in John's account, we see another group of people who are disappointed. Look at verse 46. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered around the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. And then skip to verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. These Jewish religious leaders were disappointed because Jesus was not the Messiah that they expected. But their disappointment was mixed with pride and fear. Pride because all these people were following Jesus instead of them. And fear because they were afraid if the Romans found out about this king, this Messiah, uh, that, that might be a threat to Caesar, what would the Romans do? So they, they had, uh, their disappointment was mixed with this fear and this pride. But Jesus is willing to face his enemies for our sake. This whole event of Lazarus, Uh, and raising him from the dead, is a message of the gospel. Jesus travels into this hostile territory to make a dead man alive. While we were still sinners, Jesus came to rescue us. But why? Why does he do this? Why does Jesus do this? The answer is sprinkled throughout this passage that we just read. In verse 15 of chapter 11, it says, For your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. Everyone, in verse 26, everyone who believes, who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Verse 42, I said this on account of the people who are standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And then this section here in verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. But we have to understand that belief is not just a mental assent. Belief is putting our trust in him our allegiance to him, and our life under him. Let me say that again. Belief is not just mental assent like, oh yeah, you convinced me, I believe there's a God now. Belief is more than that. Belief is putting our trust in him, our allegiance to him, and our life under him. Paul David Tripp says it like this. Hope that will never disappoint us can only be found in one place. It is not found in a thing, a situation, or an experience. It is found in a person, Jesus Christ. Whether you have realized it or not, he is what your hoping heart has been searching for. Because what you've really been searching for is life. Real, heart-changing, heart-satisfying life. Life to the fullest. Abundant life. People can love and respect you, but they can't give you life. Situations can make your life easier, but they can't give you life. Locations can bring some changes, but they can't give you life. Achievements can be temporarily satisfying, but they can't give you life. If you're a follower of Christ, your disappointments don't have to become a barrier from trusting him him more. These disappointments can become material for you to learn how to abandon ruling over your own life, to abide with him, 
to be transformed in your inner character and your outer conduct. And if you're not a follower of Christ, these disappointments that you face don't have to be a barrier to belief in him. Look to Jesus. Look at his character, who he is, not what you want him to be, or not what you expect from him, or what you expect him to do for you. Recognize that he died to rescue you from the destruction of your sin that's going to lead to death. Repent and believe in him. True lasting hope is found at the feet of the one who is the resurrection and the life. Whatever your disappointments have been and whatever you're facing now, place your heart and your hope into his hands today. Would you please stand with me as we give God the last word on this topic of disappointment through the public reading of Scripture? I'm going to read from Romans 5, 1 through 5 in the New Living Translation. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us to develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us, because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love.